All right, how many of you are ready for God's word? Amen? Um, you know, do you guys have like Christmas traditions that you do with your family? I've, I've got several of them. One of them makes no sense at all, but somehow along the way we started this tradition where we take our whole family to go to the mall together and Christmas shop together. And that made sense when there was, you know, just my mom and my dad and, and the five boys. Well, it didn't even make sense then, but it made more sense now that there's five families and grandkids and it's just total chaos everywhere uh, we go. But nevertheless, we've continued to do that. We pick a night out of the year and we go. And thankfully, the crowds weren't too bad this year. Um, you know, there's a global pandemic going on and so... The good thing is there's not that many crowds at the mall. So we had a, a good time. I went, we went down with our family and we went Christmas shopping. Now, while I was down there, I went into the coffee place to get some coffee because I love coffee. Anybody out there love coffee? I think there's people more excited about coffee than Jesus this morning. But anyway, we need to check our hearts. But went in there to get some coffee because I love coffee. And I was looking at the merchandise and they had for sale... On the, on the count, on the, on the shelf, Christmas coffee. They had this thing called Christmas coffee. And as someone who loves Christmas and loves coffee, I am very excited about combining those and having Christmas coffee. And so I picked up this bag of Christmas coffee. I'm going to take this home. And I don't know if it, what it tastes like, if it tastes like Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or... Jesus in the manger or whatever. I don't know, but it's Christmas coffee. But next to the Christmas coffee, on the same shelf, right next to it, was this other coffee called holiday coffee. Holiday coffee. And I thought, well, I like holidays, so maybe, I, maybe I'd rather have holiday coffee. So I, I went to the person at the counter and I said, hey, you have Christmas coffee and, and holiday coffee. What can you tell me about them? I want to make an informed purchase here. I want to be an informed consumer. And the lovely lady said, well, there's no difference. They're the same coffee. I said, really? Well, one of them says Christmas and one of them says holiday. She said, yeah, there's some people who don't like Christmas and so they buy the holiday coffee. I said, oh, okay. So I went and put the holiday coffee back and I said, I like Christmas, so we're going to get the Christmas coffee. And I was just thinking about that, that just, just pondering on that that there's some people out there who are so opposed to Christ, so opposed to God, so opposed to his son Jesus, the message of Christmas. They're so opposed that they can't even drink a cup of coffee that had, came out of a bag that said Christmas on it. Like for me, I, that's just so hard to even fathom someone who loves Christmas and loves Jesus and has grown up my whole life in the church to think that there's a whole group of people out there who it would ruin their day if they drank Christmas coffee. How opposed to Christ do you have to be? Reminded me of this, this other event that happened in my life recently. You know, we live in this 2020 and one of the things that has really caught on, especially during this year, is mobile ordering, where you 
you order your food or your drink or whatever from your phone instead of talking to the nice person behind the, the plexiglass. You can't hear each other and understand each other, so you can just punch it into your phone. So one of the things I like to do is when I do a mobile order, I like to put in a name that's not my name. I think that's fun. Um, I have issues, all kinds of issues, and I'm demented in some ways, and I, I just think it's fun to do that. And so one of the things I like to put in there from time to time is Jesus is Lord. Because when your food is ready, they have to bring it to the counter and shout out, Jesus is Lord. So I like to do that. Yeah. My, thank you. Thank you. Heather would be horrified to hear you reinforcing my, my issues, but nevertheless. So I punch this in, right? Jesus is Lord. And, and when the thing prints out, you know, the guy takes the ticket and he sees this and I can, I can hear him. He sees it and he goes, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. He begins to get angry. He begins to swear and to curse. Blankety blank. Jesus is Lord. My, it just, I'm sitting there like, wow, this is amazing. He starts throwing dishes and clang clanging this and makes a huge mess and blah, 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 just so in knots, just manifesting this antichrist spirit. He comes to the counter and he has to say, Jesus is Lord. <laughs> I go up there and get my food and he was really upset when I told him he had made it wrong and he had to remake it again and then he had to say it again. There are people out there who hate God, who hate his son Jesus, who want nothing to do with Christ to the point that they will not drink Christmas coffee and they see the three little words, Jesus is Lord, and they begin to manifest their hatred for God. As I was pondering on this, I, I was brought again, the Lord reminded me that this anti-Christ, anti-God spirit is really nothing new. The Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. And as we look at the scriptures today, we're going to look and we're going to see that this rejection of Christ and who he is and what he represents, it's nothing new. And that we have an option. There's an option for us. We either accept and receive Christ or we reject him. There's no sort of middle ground on that. There's no like gray area. There's, there's no riding the fence, if you will. You either, you either receive Christ and his message or you reject him. And Isaiah 53.3 tells us some 750 years before Christ that he was going to be someone who was rejected. 
Isaiah 53.3 says that Jesus is despised. He is despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. This phrase, we hid our faces from him, what that means is that we turned our backs on him. Jesus was someone who, even before he came, it had been foretold that he would be rejected, that he would not be received, but that he would be despised, not loved. Someone whom humanity turned their backs on. As we today turn our attention to The Christmas story, the life of Christ, the birth of Christ, of Christ coming into the world. What I want to show you is that even within the birth of Christ, there are people who rejected him. The first example of this that we see is actually the the husband of Mary, Joseph. Joseph, upon hearing that Mary is pregnant and knowing himself that he is not the father, he decides that he is going to shun them, to divorce from them, to, though they had not come together in marriage, they were engaged to be married, and and he is going to end the marriage and, and call off the engagement. He is rejecting Christ. Matthew 1.19, it says, And her husband Joseph, being a just man, unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Of course, we know the story that later on an angel appears to Joseph and says, Hey, hold on, not, don't be so rash. What she's told you is true. The baby in her is not from a human uh, father, but is from the Father God. It is conceived of the Holy Spirit. He is the Son of God in Mary's womb. He will be the Savior of mankind, and you are to call his name Jesus. Upon hearing the truth and and this revelation, Joseph, of course, repents. He turns around. He changes his course of action, and he goes through with his union to Mary. But as guys, I think that this is something that we can definitely relate to. If my fiance showed up pregnant and said that God had gotten her pregnant, I think I would have likewise um, said, yeah, right. But Joseph changes. He, he, he turns his attitude. He receives the truth, which really is an option for all of us. Will we receive the truth or will we reject Jesus? Joseph, as an example, shows us of, of someone who, who started off not receiving Christ, but upon the revelation of the truth, changes his mind and receives Jesus. Later on in the story, we see the people of Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph traveling there because of the tax that was levied, the census that was levied by Caesar Augustus. Caesar, who is in Rome, issues this edict, issues this decree, issues this This order that everyone, the whole world to be taxed, the whole world to be registered. So Mary and Joseph, though she's nine months pregnant, they have to make this some hundred mile trip from from Nazareth to Bethlehem. 
In Luke chapter 2, verse 7, it says, And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. You know, I, I just cannot imagine a, a, a woman nine months pregnant going into labor looking for a place to stay, looking for anyone who will take them in and house them and all they find is closed doors. I can't imagine that. I can't imagine turning away a woman in labor and making her give birth in a barn, a stable. I don't know if you've ever been to a barn, not the most sanitary place. Uh, my grandfather, Norval Hale, was a farmer, a rancher. He had barns. If you even looked at it, you were filthy. I mean, the, as a kid, we used to go in there and roll around with the animals and the manure. And I mean, we came out covered in head to toe in gunk. My mom used to hose us off. My dad used to not want to let us in his car to drive home. We were so filthy. He was also kind of OCD about some things. But anyway, so much filth. The Son of God, God among us, God with us, Emmanuel, born in filth. No one willing, the hard-heartedness of humanity, no one willing to open their doors to Mary. I can't imagine this. Yet Jesus is rejected at birth. Shortly thereafter, the, the timeline in the Bible is not that clear but shortly thereafter, there's a, a group of kings, uh, magi, sometimes they're called wise men, who are following a star that's leading them to Jesus. And they stop by Jerusalem searching for Christ. And they go to the king of the Jews at the time, King Herod, and they say, tell us where this child is to be born. This king of kings, this lord of lords, the king of the Jews, we want to go and worship him. Herod has the scribes search the scriptures and they come up with, from the book of Micah, that the, the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And he sends the Magi on their way and he says, when, when he returns, when you come back, after you find this king, come and tell me because I want to go and worship him as well. Of course, we know that his intent was not to worship Christ, but to have him killed. And we see this play out, King Herod in Matthew chapter 2, verse 16. Then Herod saw when he had been tricked by the wise men, he became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. King Herod, so opposed to Christ that not only does, is he willing to kill the Messiah as a baby, but to try and kill the Messiah, he's willing to kill every male child two years old and under, not only in Bethlehem, but the entire region. King Herod, who should have gone with the wise man and, and who came and brought him the gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh as they bowed down, as, as they worshiped, the Christ child, King Herod, should have done that with them. 
Instead, he rejects Christ. As Jesus grows up from being a, a baby to a young man, finally into adulthood, it's not that the story changes, but in fact, it intensifies the opposition of Christ, the, the rejection of Jesus only grows. John chapter 1, verse 11, we saw this last week. It says of Jesus that he came to his own people, and his own people did not receive him. His own people, the Jewish people, those who had been given the prophets, those who had been, who had been told beforehand about the Messiah and the Savior who was coming, he came to them, but they rejected him. They despised him. Not only did the Jewish people reject Jesus, but even his very own disciples reject him. His disciples. There was a time in Jesus' ministry where he had a great following, where, where thousands upon thousands would follow Jesus where he went. When he would come into a town, multitudes would gather. They would gather to hear him teach the word of God. They would gather to, to, to be healed by his miraculous healing power. At times it tells us that Jesus even fed these multitudes with these miracles. Some 5,000 men at a time. Jesus with this massive, massive ministry and following. Many of them had hoped that Jesus was the Messiah, the Savior. But the hope that they had was that Jesus, the Messiah, would save them from Rome would save the Jewish people from a political oppression, from a political opponent, from an occupying force, from a tyrannical government. Jesus, in his life, he began to teach that he wasn't there to overthrow Rome, that his Messiah, the work that he was going to do as the Savior, wasn't to set people free from Roman oppression, but rather to set people free from sin. People who didn't care about that, who only wanted to follow Jesus if he was going to be a political leader, began to fall away. They turned away. They walked away from Christ. In John chapter 6, there's this story where Jesus tells to them clearly the, the kind of work that he came to do, and it's a spiritual work. And it says in John 6, 66, that after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. This day in Jesus' life is actually a mass exodus as he's not the Messiah that they wanted. Finally, we even see that not only is Jesus rejected by King Herod, the people of Bethlehem, his disciples, that even his own family reject him. Before Jesus' death and burial and resurrection, Jesus' family, his, his half-brothers and sisters, they did not believe in him. John 7 verse 5 says, not even his brothers believed in him. Matthew 3.21 says, And when his family heard this, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, 
he is out of his mind. What was going on that they would say that Jesus had lost his marbles, that he was out of his mind? He was saying things like, I am God. I am the creator. Before Abraham was, I am. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Savior. I'm the Son of God. I'm God in the flesh. I'm the only way to be reconciled to the Father. Faith in me is the only way to eternal life. He was saying things like that. And so Jesus' family goes to bring him back home because he's making an embarrassment of the family name. They say he is out of his mind. Jesus rejected by his own family. It doesn't stop there. There's the religious and cultural elite of Jesus' day that reject him. This is, again, something we see even perpetrating into our day where the the upper echelons of society, those who are educated and wealthy and have power in our world, don't typically bow the knee to Christ. To do so would be to surrender their power and position and authority and to submit to the lordship of Christ, which many are unwilling to do. Just as it is in our day, so we see this in Jesus' day. The most chilling example of this is from John chapter 11, and I don't have this on the screen, so if you want to flip over there with me in your Bibles, if you have them, John 11 today. John 11 is the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performed. It it is, it's absolutely stunning and a testament to who he is. One of his close friends, Lazarus, had died He had been in the grave for four days. In the grave for four days. That's really, really, really dead. Funeral over. he's, 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 He's done. Jesus comes and he visits the family, Mary and Martha. He says, take me to the tomb. They take him to the tomb and Jesus says, Roll away the stone. In our day, that would be like us, someone going to the grave four days after the funeral and saying, dig him up. Open the casket. And they didn't have, you know, modern technology, you know, embalming people. As soon as someone passes from this life to the next, immediately decay begins to set in on the flesh. The body goes into a state of decay immediately. And without the modern technology that we have today, he would have been in a very sorry state. Some already four days in the grave, Jesus says, roll away the stone. Mary and Martha the, bro- the, the sisters of Lazarus, they object. Uh, Jesus, um, there's going to be an odor. It's going to stink. What are you doing? Jesus impresses upon them and says, you have to do this. They do this. They roll away the stone. And then the gra- to me, what is the greatest miracle of Christ? Jesus speaks to the dead man. 
Jesus says these words, Lazarus, come forth. And the words of Christ leave his lips, from his lips to the dead man's ears, entering into the dead man, bring this man to life. This man, Lazarus, has no option but to stand up and obey the creator of the universe and to walk out of that grave. Because God commanded that man to come forward. And so here comes Lazarus hopping out of the grave in his grave clothes. Jesus says, unwrap him. It's amazing. It's, it's, without faith, we would say that is unbelievable. Yet there were people who were there who saw it with their own eyes. And in verse 45, upon seeing Jesus call, speak to a dead man and call him back to life, it says that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and Martha and seen what Jesus did, they believed in him. That's a good response. I would submit to you that anyone who can call a dead man out of the grave, you ought to pay attention to what they have to say. So they believe in him. That's the right response. But verse 46 starts with this word, but. But some of them went to the Pharisees. That's the ruling political religious class of Jesus' day. And the Pharisees, and they told them what Jesus had done. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council and said, what are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. Verse 53 says, So from that day on, they made plans to put Jesus to death. Wow. Wow. Some of these men had seen Jesus perform this miracle with their own eyes. And instead of believing in Christ, they said, we have to get rid of this guy. We have to do away with him. If we don't, he is a threat to our power, to our position, to our wealth, and nobody is, we're not going to bow down to God because our God is power, position, and wealth. And so they reject Jesus. They reject God in the flesh. This culminates when they haul Jesus in before Pilate, the Roman governor, and they, they, they're crying out for, for Jesus to be crucified. In John 19, 15, it says, they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. We have no king but Caesar. This is the people of God. These are the people who are to be submitted to God. Yet 
they're willing to submit to a fallen, pagan, tyrannical government because that is who they get their power from. This is the religious and cultural elite rejecting Jesus. Not only that, the Roman government rejects Christ. We see as Jesus is put on trial before Pilate, Mark 15, 15, Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, having scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. This is a total perversion of justice. Barabbas, who is a murderer, a convicted murderer, allowed to go free, while Jesus, the man who never sinned, condemned to the most wretched of deaths. They rejected Christ. Rome may have been the first government to reject Christ, but it certainly was not the last. To this day, totalitarian and tyrannical governments continue to oppose and reject Christ to the point of murdering Christians and persecuting followers of Jesus. Today in communist China and many other places in the world, in 2020, Christians are being violently persecuted for their faith. Every calendar year that goes by, tens of thousands of Christians under the oppression of state governments will be killed, will be martyred, simply because they profess those three little words that I put on my mobile order, Jesus is Lord. In the United States of America, the worst thing that can happen to me is some guy can mess up my order. But if you say those words in other countries, it can cost you your life. Jesus is Lord. These false and, 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 and oppressive regimes and governments are so opposed to God and so opposed to his son that those who submit to Jesus as Lord above all else, they oppose them, they persecute them and martyr them because these tyrannical governments will not tolerate this subversion of their power. Jesus is Lord. We sing the song at Christmas time, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. Jesus is the King of Kings. Jesus is the Lord of Lords. We see finally that even one of Jesus' closest friends rejects him. We know the story well, Peter betraying Christ afraid of being named as one of his disciples, afraid of what it might mean, afraid that he might lose his own life. Matthew 26, it says, after a little while, the bystanders came up to Peter. Certainly, you too are one of his disciples. You have the same accent. 
Then he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know the man. Immediately the rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the saying of Jesus, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. All of these are a rejection of Christ, and we can look at these stories and We can think, oh, these foolish people, how could they not see it? How could they do that? But the indictment against all humanity is Romans 3.23, which says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It's not just these few examples that I've given to you. In fact, if you have ever sinned, you have rejected God. Every sin is a rejection of God, of God's word, of God's commandments, of God's son, of Christ. Every single sin is a rebellion against God. And all of us are in that boat. All of us are in that bucket. Isaiah 53 verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned every one to our own way. But there is another option to rejecting Christ. And that is to receive Christ, to receive Jesus, to believe upon him. You don't have to live in your rebellion against God. And many of these examples that we looked at of Joseph, of Jesus' own family, of Peter, they, they had failings, they had faults, they had sins, and they had shortcomings, but they repented, they turned, they put their faith in Christ And they were restored. They were restored. There is grace for us today. John chapter 1 verse 12. After it says that his own people rejected Jesus. It says this. But to all who did receive him. Who believed in his name. He gave the right to become children of God. Have you received Christ? Have you believed upon him? Have you put your faith in him? Jesus said that he is the only way to God. He is the only way to the Father. Have you received the Father's gift? Have you received the way of salvation? Have you received the love of God and eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord? Or have you hardened your heart and rejected him? There's only two options. There's not a a middle ground on this. The question is, is clear. Have you been forgiven of your sins? Have you been reconciled to God? Don't miss the point of Christmas. It's easy to get caught up in the festivities and the traditions and and I don't think that there's anything inherently wrong with those. I enjoy those things. It's, it's easy to be distracted by the food, by the tamales and enchiladas. Can I get an amen? Hey, I, there's, and there's, trust me, there's nothing wrong with that. I am a firm believer in tamales and enchiladas on Christmas, okay? But let's not miss the point. Let, let's not lose sight of what Christmas is really about. This child born in a stable is Emmanuel, God with us. He is fully God and he is fully man. He lived a life without sin. 
He claimed himself to be the God of the universe, the creator of all, the Lord of all, and the king of all. Jesus accurately predicted his own death, the events of his death, when it would be, how it would happen, and his own resurrection. He foretold all of it in advance. By doing so, he proved that not only what he did was true, but his words were true. And he himself claimed that he was the only way to the Father, the only way to be saved, the only way to have sins forgiven is faith in Christ. Christmas is not only about Mary and Joseph and the angels and the shepherds and the baby in the manger. Christmas is not about the three wise men and the gold and the frankincense and myrrh. Christmas is about a bloody cross and a crucified savior and an empty tomb and an exalted Christ and a king of kings and of Lord of lords who is returning one day, amen, to set up his kingdom, to judge the world and to remove the world of sin and to fix everything that is broken. That is what Christmas is about. The manger doesn't mean anything without the cross. It's meaningless. It's pointless. But because of the cross, because of salvation, because of forgiveness of sins, we can celebrate. We can sing the songs, joy to the world. The Lord has come. Have you received Christ? And to not receive him is to reject him. And to reject Christ, John 3, 17 and 18 tells us to reject Christ is to live under the righteous judgment of God. You see, sin carries with it a price. It must be atoned for. Jesus paid the price for sin. Believe upon him. Believe upon him. You know, I don't know where we are at. I don't know where you're at. I can't see your heart. None of us can see your heart. The truly terrifying thing is that you can attend church every Sunday. You can come in every week. You can look the part. You can play the part. You can put money in the offering. You can sing the songs and not have received Christ. We're not saved by what we do. We're not saved by coming to church. We're not saved by being a good person. None of us is good. We're not saved by by somehow trying to pay God off with offerings. We're saved by the grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That is it, period. It's not about what we do. It's about who we know. Do you know God? Have you received Christ? Only you can answer that question. I can't see your heart, but you know in your heart of hearts, I pray that you have received Christ. And if you have not, what are you waiting for? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your faith in Christ. Today is the day to turn away from sin and shame and brokenness and to receive the healing, restoring love and grace and salvation of Jesus. Jesus is our only hope. Jesus is our Savior. And that's why at Christmas we celebrate the birth of Jesus.
Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that you sent your son into the world. Lord, not to just be a cute baby and to set up a nativity scene in our homes, but Lord, that we would know that, of course, the true meaning of Christmas is the fulfillment of your plan to restore humanity back to yourself, humanity that was lost and in darkness. Lord, I thank you that Jesus entered into our world, a world that is messed up, that is marred because of sin. Him being born in a stable is a picture of him coming to our messed up planet. But he came and lived a life without sin, died on the cross to redeem sinners, rose again to give us new life. We thank you for these wonderful gifts that truly have changed our lives. Lord, at this time, we reflect on and we remember that wonderful time, that wonderful moment when you came. We celebrate your birth. Lord, we look forward to, as we look back and reflect on your first coming, we look forward to and anticipate eagerly your second coming. When you will return, not as a baby in a manger, but as a king riding on a horse to set our world free finally and fully from the power of sin, from the power of darkness. Lord, you've called us to be participants in your mission as, as, as we're part of your family, as we're part of your church. Help us to live faithfully for you until you return. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap.